Do you long to feel more joy in work and life? Do you want to reduce stress and sleep better? Are you looking for healthy ways to cope? Join Speedway Jefferson, certified mindfulness practitioner and lawyer, and learn to operate from your peaceful path. Harness the power of mindfulness meditation to feel softer, more clear, supported, and cheerful, starting with just five minutes a day. Today, our topic is avoiding toxic positivity. What is it? How does toxic positivity impact happiness and contentment? Which way should you lean? And is there such a thing as too much positivity? How do you strike the right balance between optimism and the healthy acknowledgement of difficulties? Can your lack of acknowledgement become toxic? Well, hi, and welcome to Mindful in Five, helping you find and operate from your peaceful path. My name is Spiwa Jefferson, author of the book and companion journal, Mindful in Five, Meditations for People with No Time. I am delighted to welcome back my special guest, Karen Richard. Karen is Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Anderson Corporation, a $3 billion privately held company employing more than 13,000 team members with manufacturing sites in North America and Europe. If you missed our first conversation, I invite you to go back and listen to our previous episode titled Overcoming Stress and Anxiety that you will find in the notes for this podcast. There we unpacked the truth and some surprising facts about stress. Karen, welcome back to Mindful in Five. Well, thank you, Speedway. It's so wonderful to be here, especially to talk about a topic like this that's so near and dear to my heart. So first things first, we want our listeners to know that the opinions expressed in this and every Mindful in Five episode are our own and not endorsed or attributable to our employers. So avoiding toxic positivity Karen, can you share with us why this topic is near and dear to your heart? Absolutely, Speedway. You know, like many people these days, I've been personally touched by things like mental health issues within my own family and within my own sphere of interaction at work and in the community and with friends. It's really become a national health crisis, as you know, Speedway. And I believe that part of it stems from being taught at an early age to suppress our feelings. I really believe that. And what I mean by that is that we're taught to not fully acknowledge our negative emotions. And as you think about that, a classic example is when a child falls down and gets hurt, what's our first reaction? It's always, hey, just get up and brush brush yourself off. You're fine. How many times did you hear that when you were growing up as a child? Or even how many times did you say that to your own children? I know I did. Well, yes, because what I quickly figured out was on top of everything else, if I if I reacted as if it looked like it hurt, 
then my baby would cry. And then I would have. <laughs> so, right. So I figured out that if I acted like nothing happened, they would look at me for a cue. And I was like, then they too. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so, so right. But I would say one of the things I think I've learned, and I hope we talk a little bit more about in this episode, is that it's really healthy to allow yourself to feel the emotions that you're feeling at a given point in time, both positive and negative, and really to find ways to deal with the negative that are healthy and productive to help you overcome it. Well, you know, especially now that I have older children, I'm much more receptive to that. So, <laughs> so um, I am intrigued by the term toxic positivity. Talk to us about how you define it and how it impacts contentment and mm. happiness in our lives. That is a great question. And I've thought a lot about it. But, you know, as I think about toxic positivity, I really define it as repressing our negative feelings and really almost pretending to be happy all the time. It's it's the act of dismissing your negative emotions with false reassurance versus being empathetic, you know, both to yourself, but also to other people and their true emotion. So it really fails to allow people to process in the moment and absorb how they truly feel when something bad happens. You know, I'll give you a personal example. And this is where, this is a point in time where this topic resonated deeply with me and really changed the trajectory of how I think about emotions. And it's, it's, and I'll never forget that, but when George Floyd was murdered, I asked one of my dear friends who was impacted on a far more personal level than me, what I could do to help. And his simple response to me was, just give me the time to sit in this grief and process what has happened. Allow me to be mourn, to mourn and to be sad. And what I learned through that is that by allowing him to grieve and acknowledging the tragic systemic racism that exists in our country, he emerged with a greater sense of feeling cared for and heard. And our relationship has strengthened ever since. Well, you know, I think that is so important because it's the exact opposite of what we talked about just a moment ago, where I think even as adults, you are absolutely correct that we tend to try to brush things off and just keep going. And sometimes it's almost like if, if I think sometimes people feel like if I can just like act like it didn't happen, yep. then I don't have to process the grief or the pain or whatever it is that I might be feeling as a result of this thing that just happened. And I think that is so important because, you know, I define mindfulness as being present in the moment without judgment mm -hmm. and without being overwhelmed by what's around you. And part of being present in the moment is acknowledging, like you said, that pain is here, that grief is here, that disappointment is here, that hurt is here, and just allowing yourself to process through that emotion without running and hiding. And 
So during the season, though, on this podcast, we're going to be talking quite a bit about optimism and resilience, what it is, what it isn't, how can we cultivate it? And this idea of toxic positivity is the counterbalance, isn't it, to optimism? Do you think there is such a thing, Karen, as excessive optimism? There absolutely is. And what I would like to say first is that optimism, as I think about it, is simply the feeling of being hopeful. Now, if you think about excessive optimism, it's really being hopeful, but without acknowledging the risks, which are really important too. So if you don't think about the risks or what could go wrong, you can't really plan for what the risks are. And a great example of this, just think of a in, in Minnesota, just think of a classic hailstorm. It's projected to come right through your your area of the Twin Cities. And you decide through excessive optimism that, hey, it's not going to hit us. It's going to go a different way. And you decide not to move your car in the garage. Well, you know what happens next, right? We've all experienced this. Yeah. The hail comes, your car gets damaged, and it creates kind of a headache for you, right? You have to go get it fixed. You have to call your insurance company. Mm -hmm. And it all could have been avoided if you just took the time to respond to what could go wrong. So I think it's great to be optimistic and to be hopeful, but when it's excessive and doesn't take into account the potential risk, that's where it can be kind of destructive. Well, I absolutely agree. When we were planning for this episode, this topic struck a nerve and I thought this was brilliant when you came up with the idea. Um, because it caused me to reflect, among other things, on the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, back to what we said earlier, my parents were always upbeat in the way that they showed up for me. I know, looking back in hindsight, that there were times when they struggled, and they struggled financially, but they never let on, and I'm sure it was because they didn't want me to worry, or they wanted me to always feel secure. I think it's natural for loving parents to want to be strong for their children. But what I think you're getting at, Karen, at this is that sometimes showing up in strength and shielding your own fears can have a detrimental impact on your kids. Mm-hmm. So tell with us how you think about these issues and how do you approach this conundrum? Well, Speedway, I I can honestly say I don't have it exactly right. But what I will tell you is that I've done a lot of reflecting on this very topic and a lot of reading. And what I have to admit is through that reflection, I've realized that I'm much like, you know, how you described your parents when our kids were growing up. I wanted to, I felt like I was protecting them from what I always perceived as kind of our adult world and our adult things to be worried about. But admittedly, I subscribe to things like, you know, everyone's a winner. It's okay if, you know, if you, if you didn't lose or you didn't get first place, you're still a winner and you still did a great job. Well, yeah. sometimes it's important to reflect on what could I have done better? Because that's what fuels growth, development and learning. And so as a parent of two children now as well, uh, being a parent, I am much more aware and reflective of toxic positivity and what that can do to people. And I've absolutely changed my mindset and I'm more thoughtful and reflective of everyone's emotions around me. So I take the time when someone shares how they're feeling 
or what's not going right in the world, I tend to take more of a listening approach and a validating their emotion approach because everybody needs to feel cared for and validated on their path in life. Yeah, you know, I think that is so important because sometimes there there are lots of times when you cannot fix the thing that's broken. When somebody is going through just a difficult time for whatever reason, you might not be able to fix it in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they need you to fix it. And, you know, sometimes it's okay just to sit with them and just be there and offer companionship. That's right. And I, I, you, you, you said exactly what I'm thinking, Speedway, which is we're not here to fix everyone's problems at hand, right? In fact, it's, it's humanly not possible. Mm-hmm. But rather, we're here to be good listeners. We're here to respect each person's way of grieving, to accept the fact that we all wake up in different moods at different times and for different reasons. And that really what's most important is that we offer words that will touch people's heart and lift them up in that moment. Let them know that we're here. Let them know that we care and that we can be optimistic and hopeful about what lies ahead. Yeah. So as we were preparing for this episode, it brought me back to the day years ago when our youngest daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Mm. At the time, my mother, who has since passed away, was here. And I remember knocking on her bedroom door and when I heard the news, and I just ran into her arms and I was just sobbing. And so I choked out what happened expecting that mom was going to pat me on the back and say something like, there, there, it'll be okay. However, (laughs) my mother, um, she held me in silence. And then she said to me, you can cry in here, but when you walk out that door, you need to dry your eyes and be strong for your daughter. She needs you to be strong. So there I was sniffling and I was sort of agreeing and saying, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But the result of that was that when I did see my daughter, I hugged her. I said reassuring things about how we would figure it out together. But I was not vulnerable with her. I didn't cry with her because all my crying was done behind closed doors because I had this idea that I have to be strong for her. And so you're raising this topic literally brought forward for me the question of whether I really did her a service by not being vulnerable with her. And it feels like such a challenge because as much as I want to express vulnerability and sensitivity to what my child is going through, I also want to be her strength and to be the one who assures her that everything that she's going through is going to be all right. So how do we strike that right balance? And how does this how does this idea of minding this concept of toxic positivity help us toggle between, you know, happiness and contentment and just accepting and acknowledging and being vulnerable to what's happening in the moment? I love your story, Speedway. And I think as a parent, we all probably have uh, similar experiences with with our children, um, which which really helps has helped frame how I think about this. But Ultimately, 
it's making sure that we acknowledge we acknowledge how people are feeling your daughter at the time was sad and scared and all of those things and that's okay and i think i think being able to show up in the moment and acknowledge someone's feelings and emotions and asking what they need to help get through this uh it could be thing, things like just be a just being there to listen being there to be a shoulder to cry on or even i think of uh sometimes my own kids it's just asking if i can help with you know i'll take care of your dog for an afternoon or can i help you run this errand and and helping out with practical tasks really helps people feel like hey you're you're cared for uh when people are going through tough times so the bottom line is that everyone's unique and everyone needs different things but being aware of what's most helpful in that moment seems to be the most effective for me and so it's not a one size fits all uh prescription right mhm that's so important and it seems like another place where toxic positivity often shows up is in the workplace a manager might say you know you're you're in hr and i'm a lawyer and so we see <laughs> this happen all the time where managers right. say all sorts of positive things to employees um and and maybe to an employee who's not performing well in the mm-hmm. name of being supportive and encouraging and and really trying to you know get you going in the right direction but then at some point the managers just tired and they get to the point where they're coming to you uh, or they're coming to me and they're saying, you know, it's clear this employee just can't do the job. And then mm-hmm. the employee finds themselves like on the verge of termination and it feels shocking and sudden and unwarranted. So when this kind of um, you could I, I think of that as a form of toxic positivity because it's not candid and it's not necessarily honest. And so when that shows up in the workplace, how can leaders avoid this kind of scenario? That is a great question. And one that's really near and dear to my heart, like you, uh, in the professions that we are supporting our organizations every day. And you touched on it a little bit, but one of the things that that really transformed how I think about this topic, Speedway, is something called radical candor. And if you ever have an opportunity or haven't uh, read about it. What's so important about radical candor is, and the reason it's effective, is that you start from a baseline. Each of us as leaders start from a baseline of caring personally about each and every one of our people and really establishing that trusting, cared for relationship very early on uh, in our interactions together. So caring on a human level, and it's beyond just work output you know, understanding uh, their family dynamics, what's going well in their life, maybe where, where, where they're feeling a little bit less, uh, less happy or content, and being there to listen, let them express their emotions. I think when you establish that baseline level of trust and, and mutual respect, that you are in a position to be able to provide the feedback that's required to help each of your people on your team be successful. It gives you an opportunity to be more direct because it comes from a position where the individual 
feels that you're sharing the information or the feedback with them because you truly trust, respect, and want them to be successful in your organization. So I I really believe strongly that building mutual trust and respect is a baseline for helping anyone be successful. The second thing I would say is, is I am a leader that, that really thrives on finding people's strengths and operating from a position of placing people in roles that truly leverage their strengths. Because we all, let's just face it, we all have opportunities. We all have things to work on. And, and that should not be the emphasis of our role right? It can be part of the role, but it shouldn't be the primary emphasis of the role. So how do we put people in a position of strength, but also allow ourselves to create these trusting relationships to provide the kind of feedback that helps people truly grow and develop? I love that. And so you've given us a lot of things to think about. Certainly, I'll be thinking about how to address challenges both at home and at work differently. And so if you were to recap, what would you say, you know, to our listeners, if you take nothing else, (laughs) conversation, if you are one of those people who spend 47% of your time, according to, you know, Harvard research, not really, really being present, and you heard, you missed like, you know, half of this conversation, (laughs) what would you say to that person by way of recap? Well, I first of all starts with we're all human beings and we all have emotions, both positive and negative. And what's most important is that we all as humans take the time to acknowledge emotions, both positive and negative, to not be dismissive of one another, but rather validate uh, what other people are feeling in the moment and at the time. And you know what? Speedway, I, I would just leave leave our, ourselves with, it's okay to have a good cry from time to time. It releases stress hormones, which can help you sleep better, help strengthen your immune system. And so it's actually healthy to be able to express your emotions and then just go with your instincts. If it feels right to share something painful, then please do. If it feels better to wait until you learn more and you need to create an action plan, then it's okay to wait. But I think I would leave the audience with, we're all unique. We're all humans. We all have emotions. And there's no one size fits all for any one of us. That is outstanding. Um, I think the word that keeps coming into my mind as I'm listening to you talk is allow. Just allow yourself the space and the grace to feel and experience whatever the emotion is that you're experiencing in any given moment without running from it or without judging yourself for having those emotions and those feelings, right? Absolutely. It's 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 akin to practicing mindfulness in the moment. It's being present without judgment, right? And mm-hmm. it's acknowledging how we're feeling at this particular point in time. I agree. Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I was thrilled to have this conversation with you, Speedway. As you know, this is near and dear to both of our hearts, and I really appreciate the conversation. 
Well, listeners, I am hopeful that this conversation on avoiding toxic positivity is something that you can incorporate into your daily life to help you find and operate from your peaceful path and feel more clear and supported, self-supported, without judging yourself for having your negative emotions, because as Karen said, they do serve a positive purpose. So until next week, this is Beware saying, thank you for joining us. Be mindful and be well. Thank you for listening to Mindful in 5. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend, follow and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Pick up your signed copy of the book and journal from SpeedwayJefferson.com or unsigned copies from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. Visit SpeedwayJefferson.com to download sample chapters of the book, watch videos, and become a mindful ninja. Join us on the LinkedIn Mindful in 5 group and share your thoughts. Until next time, be mindful and be well.